Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? And so... I was coming to like all these investors and people and like, here, here's the technology that you'll be using to make every single thing, every piece of video and images in the, in the future. Right. And people were like, yeah, no. I mean, you're also an art artist, so like, definitely not. <laughs> like, no. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. How is everyone doing this very fine week? I'm doing well. I'm actually on holiday from the paper this week, at least. But of course, the pod never sleeps. So we're bringing another fabulous episode for your listening pleasure. This week on the show, we have Cristobal Valenzuela. He's the f- co-founder and CEO of Runway, which is just a very cool kind of crazy company. So they built this company. It's in New York. And they're right at the forefront of AI art, specifically developing AI video editing tools that are kind of mind-boggling. So I did a, a little test, which I mentioned to Chris, where I did a little three-second video of myself, put it into Runway's tools, and they turned me into a claymation figure, into a watercolor painting. All of this happened instantly. It's really kind of mind-blowing when you actually start to play with this stuff. And they've also developed a text-to-video model where you can just turn prompts into some pretty amazing videos. Just really opening the way for what Chris says and what Imad Mostak last week mentioned as well, that we're going to have the first AI-generated feature-length film coming sooner rather than later, which almost regardless of whether it's good or not, that's going to be a big deal whenever that happens. Anyhow, Chris is from Chile. He has a very cool story about how he ended up chucking in his old job, moving to New York, and now running this company that has raised $100 million. And again, is really right at the heart of this AI boom that has captivated so many people with the power of these tools that they're coming out with, especially in the creative world. So I think you're really going to dig this one. And Chris also drops a few pearls of wisdom about starting a company, recruiting people, and just generally navigating all these firsts that come with doing a startup. So it's a fun conversation. So now I'm going to stop talking and head you over to my chat with Cristobal Valenzuela of Runway. Enjoy. Before uh, we got on, I made a claymation of myself. I made a watercolor of myself. I made a charcoal drawing. 
it's all kind of feels um, like magic, which is kind of uh, really interesting, but also I think, you know, a little bit scary for people, especially I imagine in the creative world. I think magic is a great word to describe uh, the experience you just, you just had. Great to hear that you felt like that. We put a lot of emphasis and work to make it feel like magic. Just so listeners understand, I'd upload like a three second video of me just like saying some nonsense to the camera. And then there's little buttons. You press claymation, you press watercolor, you press whatever. And then in less than a minute, you have this new thing. You posted about text to video which I think is another level, which I don't think a lot of people are aware of that capability. But I don't know if you could just talk about that, what that looks like and where things are and where you see that going. Because that, I think, gets into a lot of the bigger questions around art, content creation, all of this stuff in the age of AI. I guess you were describing before on your experiment with claymation and watercolor, this technique that we've developed and that we have in our one of our products called video to video. So you, you create a video, you, you effectively generate a new video, mm-hmm. but the way you generate a new video is that you provide a video as a source. So the algorithm basically takes the structure and the reference elements in that video and then creates an entirely new video. And that's, I guess, the claymation, or you can basically turn it into anything that you want. We've been working on a set of different modes. We call them modes. And so video to video is one mode of generating video. Another mode is text to video. And for text to video, you don't have, or you don't need another video as a source. You can just describe it via words, which is groundbreaking. It's different. It's it's totally, video to video is already like very different from traditional yeah. ways of making video, which is either you shoot something with a camera or you create it in like a CGI environment. This is just radically different. And text to video represents like another mode in that stack of, uh, of ways of creating video, which is going to be available to everyone very soon. And text to video. So can you give me an example of like, like how detailed do these prompts have to be? They don't have to be that detailed, to be honest. And, and you can control them with different input mechanics. One of the interesting one is you can provide an image, right? So I can take a picture of yourself or any picture you want and then pair the image with a prompt and then describe what you want that photo to be or like do. So you have, for example, a car, you can be like, I want a car chase uh, in the desert and use that car as a reference. And then the model will use the description of what you wanted to see, the angle, the shot, the type of like perspective. It will take that image that you provided and generate a video kind of like that matches that. So it's pretty flexible. So I could take, so like upload an image of myself and then try to create me as Humphrey Bogart in Casablanca. Be like, you know, me with a top hat, smoking a cigarette with a trench coat, looking very moody in a 1940s style film, for example. Exactly. Yes, you can, you can do that. It's movie magic. <laughs> How do you come at this? Because it feels like, I think for a lot of people, it's like the last six months, all of a sudden AI is everywhere. We talked about this with some other guests recently. But you've been working on this for kind of before this quote unquote boom that's happening now. So I was wondering if you could just give a sense of kind of where you're coming at this from and how long you've been working on it and also why you decided to try this. Because again, going back to this idea of magic, it feels kind of, I imagine if you said, I don't know, when you started the company two, three years ago, this is what we're going to do. People would be like, that sounds not likely. 
<laughs> that sounds very hard. That was exactly right. Six years ago, to be to be precise. Six years ago. Yeah. It's so the the, the short story of Runway is um, I met my co-founders at art school. Um, we all come from different backgrounds in research, computer science, and business, and a few other things, and and we all went to art school for grad school at NYU. But it's a, it's a different and unique art program in the way that um, the best way to describe the program I went to that's called ITP is um, art school for engineers and engineering school for artists. I see. It's a center to explore like the recently possible. And I felt in love with early neural networks and neural aesthetics, specifically around the time that there was an algorithm called Deep Dream. Hmm. I remember I'm from Chile and I, and I saw that algorithm. I was working in Chile and I saw that, that a picture of, of that algorithm that looks like very trippy. It's like a it's like a psychedelic image. And I just it just I couldn't stop thinking about it. It was like, hmm. the, I don't know, something captivated me about it. And so I had to quit my job and then spend like two and a half years working with my co-founders researching this. What was your job at the time? What were you doing? I was working, I was teaching at a design school and, 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 and I also have a background in like uh, econ and business. So I was consulting and doing software engineering on the side. It's right. like a bunch of different things. It was just, to be honest, there wasn't really like a, a, a clear goal. It was more of like, this is something very interesting and I just want to spend all my time understanding it. Right. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just going to quit everything I have and spend two years diving in. And it's kind of like curiosity, kind of like component to it to be honest yeah my plan was to just come for two years to new york and then come back fly back to to chile the classic plan i'll come for a little bit and then i'll go back home yeah it's <laughs> like I'll, I'll just come like for 24 months i'll play with this thing i'll satisfy my curiosity and then i'll, I'll fly back yeah it's been seven years and i've uh, i still haven't gone back but i think i think we were fascinated by the idea of of really taking early computer ai systems and rethinking them in the purpose for the purpose of creativity like we were really thinking about tool making mm. and there's a lot of potential of what we're saying but there weren't really a lot of thought being put into making tools for art or making tools for filmmakers and so for the last four years when we started the company the company was founded in late 2018 beginning of 2019 we just spent a lot of time understanding how do we take this new piece of technology this fundamental platform that's different from everything we've ever built as, mm. as an industry, as society, as, like, as technologists, and think about storytelling. And that's, that's, I guess, where we are right now. So you started this in 2018. You said you were an artist. Like, what kind of stuff were you doing? Weird stuff. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> is, um, I just saw the first project I ever made. It was actually called Text to Video. It was 2012. I hooked an old typewriter my grandfather uh, used to have. It's like an old Olivetti, like a really old yeah. one. And I just hooked a bunch of cables to every single like uh, keyboard stroke. Mm -hmm. And then I built a system, a computer system that pair what you wrote to like pre-made videos. And so effectively, and you had like this long paper, like sheet of paper that was like staying. And so I had this exhibition in a museum in Chile and people just came and typed in the typewriter and then the moment you start typing, videos were projected on like in front of you. Oh. And then the whole record of everything you were writing was like being recorded on the thing. Right. So it was like this very like ephemeral like piece where like you can generate and come see what other someone else came and generated before you. And then while you were doing it, you're generating these videos. I forgot about the piece and someone remind me about it. And it's like, oh wow, it's 
like it took me like 11 years to come back to my first art project ever. Yeah, so you've been thinking about this idea in one form in some form or fashion for a long time. But I, I realized that I think my art was more tool making. Tool making was something I've enjoyed more than art making. I really enjoy building things and systems and then I put them in the hands of like craft artists. And the moment they do something with it, it's just so rewarding. That that drives me a lot. So you start this company in 2018. Who are your co-founders and where are they coming at this from? Yeah, my co-founders are Alejandro Matamala and Anastasis Germanidis. We met at art school at the same uh, program we're studying. We're just immediately connected and started working on like projects together. Mm. Anastasis comes from a technical, deep research background in the field and in engineering and in like backend systems. And Alejandro has a mixture of like advertising design, uh, front end and engineering kind of like backgrounds. So immediately kind of like we all kind of started just making stuff together and funding runway was kind of like the obvious way of just continuing our curiosity path towards something something bigger. And so what was the pitch back in 2018 thinking about, again, where we are right now? Because it still seems like hard to believe you can do this stuff right now. But I imagine back in 2018, I don't know if you had if you had that vision then and that's what you were actually telling investors or people like, yeah, no, no, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. I have like emails and pitch decks and everything from the time. We weren't calling it generative AI. We weren't calling it synthetic media. And so mm. it was kind of like synthetic media and generative AI. I actually have emails of investors who've told me in 2018, like, Chris, the thing you're doing doesn't make any sense. Like, no one, generative AI is not a field. Like, it's just a toy. And the thing is, like, it's kind of like it was actually partially true because if you looked at what we had at the time mm. in technology, in, like, state of art, instead of, like, research, of course, you're looking at something that's very early and you're judging that singular outcome as the way of justifying, like, your work for the next five, six years, ten years. But I think I wasn't fixated on that singular, like, result, which was bad. If you use one of the first ever systems I built using a kind of runway was was a text-to-image model in 2018. And I you can actually still live, it's still on, the, on a web browser, on a, on a web page I have. You can type like whatever you want in the same way that you type anything on any mm. text image model right now, but you get all these like blurry, undefined, like artistic, like weird images. And so I was coming to like all these investors and people and like, here here's the technology that you'll be using to make every single thing every piece of video and images in the in the future. Right. And people were like, yeah, no. I mean, you're also an art, artist, so like definitely not. <laughs> like, no. Right. But I think the way we're looking at it was different. It was don't fix it on the thing, fix it on how fast we got there. That piece of technology, the fact that you're able to stream your like words into a system and the system is able to translate that into a visual corresponding thing wasn't possible before yeah and now we've gotten better models and better models and just project we're going to be in like for years and say so, i guess to, to answer your question um we were pitching the same uh the only thing that changed was was the was the research and the product around it so did you actually raise money were you able to find somebody who thought your crazy idea wasn't that crazy i found crazy people early on yes uh, <laughs> i was very fortunate actually it was we we're a bit in a rush to be honest because we were so i finished art school i got an offer to work at a company love and I decided not to take it just to try this thing but uh the three of us are immigrants and we have visas and so we were yeah, in student yeah. visas and so we had like four months to kind of like quote figure something out if you don't figure it out it's like you're back to your back that's you're it there's out. no plan b yeah yeah 
you're out. <laughs> Strike, right? Strike three, you're out. Yeah. And so we had to just figure it out. Okay, all in. Like we need to convince someone. We need to show them that this is like real. And so we worked. I've slept like two hours every day. Just like work really hard to get to the point where you build a tool and a system you can show people. So I didn't have actually when we raised our first round of financing just to be able to keep working. We're working on. Uh, it was a small round of like $2 million uh, on like 2018. We didn't have a pitch deck. So we didn't have a deck. It was just like, here, you want to see what we're working on? You just had a demo. Yes. Let me show you a thing, right? Let me show right. you something you've never seen before. And if you believe in it and you believe in these people that are really crazy enough to like build it, then great. And so we had great investors that believe in us early on. And that's that's kind of like how we got started. Anybody we would know? Yeah, sure. Uh, Lux Capital yeah. and Josh Wolf and, and Sav uh, led the led the round. Uh, Amplify Partners and Compound Mike Dempsey were kind of like the three folks in the early the first seed round. And how much have you raised now? We've raised close to a hundred million dollars right now. Right. And what is Runway today, aside from the three crazy people who started it? <laughs> 45 crazy people um, <laughs> doing the same thing. We are um, a research company. So we've developed uh, foundational and kind of like breakthrough models in, in research specifically for video and image generation. We have an incredible research team that's been pioneering stuff that are just incredible to see and incredible to kind of like see the overall reaction people have gotten around those those systems. And we also have a product team that like takes those research elements and moves them beyond just pure research into exactly the the app that you use to turn yourself into claymation. Right. So still crazy, but just we're forty-five crazy people. Right. And what has changed? I mean, I'm sure there's a ton of breakthroughs you guys have achieved, but what is it what has allowed you guys to kind of start making, you know, this magic appear so suddenly and it's like, you know, you have this video to video and now it's text to video coming soon like it feels like things are happening quite quickly and i'm just wondering like you know you've been working on this since 2018 what were there a couple big leaps that have happened either with processing power or the algorithms or something that has allowed you to kind of like you know get where you've got yeah a lot of things had happened i guess if i can summarize some of the most important changes there's definitely compute and data like there's more compute and more data available to train better models there's also more minds collectively thinking about these problems which is great now more practically i would say for for us and for the kind of like image and video space the idea of diffusion was kind of like a breakthrough that basically allowed this last wave of interest or, 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 or hype that we've seen to go. What do you mean uh, diffusion? Diffusion is just a technique that's been used for uh, most of image generators that you see out there. Um, mm. We've uh, co-authored a paper called Image Synthesis with Latent Diffusion Models that introduces a, a new technique that allows you to, uh, it's, it's applying like diffusion process in the latent space. That was a paper co-authored by uh, some researchers at the University of LMU Munich and, and our mm. and our research team at Runway, and that was kind of like one of the breakthroughs I would say more recently that has allowed this whole like wave of uh, creativity and like interest in this space to emerge. Is there an easy way to describe what diffusion is or how it works? Uh, yeah, it's um, so at its more fundamental level, it's like a mathematical like probability distribution that just samples from 
from a distribution and then adds noise and it's a system that tries to remove the noise from that distribution. More simply think about it as you have noise, like just white noise. Think about like just random pixels and you train a system to try to like slowly take that noise or that pixels to start forming objects or like elements that resemble something we, we're used to. So it's kind of like focus the lens and turn it into turn all that noise. Yeah, that's a yes, yes. That's a great. It's like you're 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 remember those old TVs that you're like changing the antenna yep. to like get the signal. Kind of like that's a, perhaps a good metaphor to think about it. Right. Although I, I do think that there's a lot of breakthroughs in the research aspects and the technology and the infrastructure and the research and the data, etc. But I think a, a very important update that we've had is not just the models themselves, but our internal mental models of how we use and we understand this technology. So to give an example, I was demoing earlier, I was telling before, like early text to image models to like mm. advertisers and filmmakers in 2018. And it was very hard for them to understand the idea that you could type in words and get an image, right? Yeah. The first question was like, Chris, great, fantastic idea. I get where might going, but like, how are you generating those? Are you using like Unreal or like a 3D rendering system or like, and I'm like, I'm not, these images don't exist. What do you mean they don't exist? So which database are you collecting? It's just, it's, there's no database. I mean, yeah. there's a training that is it, but, and so over time you've gotten exposed to it so many times that you finally start understanding, okay, this is, I get it. I get it. I get it. And then models start to get really good. And so you're like, okay, I get it. And now I think we've crossed the, an important threshold, which is the, the mom threshold, which is my mom now understands yep. what I'm working on because she's used it. And that's just, that means a lot in terms of like adoption of the technology. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, a, I always think of it as like the taxi cab threshold where it's like, if you jump in an Uber or something and someone's like, yes, you know, oh, what kind of, uh, what kind of crypto have you bought or whatever? They're just like, and you're just like. I mean, that that moment has come and gone. That threshold got passed and then people forgot about it. But it's a similar We're thing. definitely in the taxi. Yeah. <laughs> Very similar. I agree. Right. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ah. 
how do you see this playing out? Because I think of, uh, I used to live in London for many years and there's like um, a whole quite strong industry there with like visual effects, companies like Framestore, et cetera, that have like huge teams creating things, you know, for like Avatar and all of these like really high-end animated films and whatnot. How does this fit in? to that and kind of have that evolution of, of things like, for example, movies. And maybe movies is a kind of reductive way to think about it. Maybe it's much greater than that, but that's just the thing that ultimately, ultimately jumps to mind and I think will for a lot of people. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think I come a lot back to the history of visual effects and VFX to try to understand and kind of like give context to what we're experiencing right now with AI. I think VFX is a great example of a piece of, an idea and a technology that radically changed the way we can tell stories. Mm. And now we've gotten very used to it. And like, it's part of like, I guess you go to the cinemas and you expect that any part of that video or movie that you're going to watch is going to be like, could be CGI or it's going to be CGI to the point where you have entire CGI movies. Like there's yep. no human, like just Toy Story is like an entire CGI movie or like animated movie. There's this uh, documentary about ILM. It's in Disney+. Plus. It goes through the history of how ILM was born. Industrial light and magic. Exactly. It's uh, there's a lot of like it's one of the pioneers, the group of pioneers who basically invented the field of visual effects. You could argue. It's interesting to see the reactions people had at the time, right? It's like, hey, this is a toy. This is just a group of like hackers. They were all coming from different like backgrounds and they're just doing like these props. But they invented like a lot of techniques that are still being used like today. And I come back to think about like it's we're in a very similar moment. We're like. This now it's the artists who are playing with this technology, who are inventing a new medium. And it's still hard to understand exactly what the Toy Story of like 20 years would look like, because we're still in the 80s of like the AI kind of like BFX analogy, right? We're trying we're starting to see like the first Star Wars movies being made, but it's like people are being like skeptical about it. Like, would it actually be so useful? Like, what do you mean like entirely generated movies? It's like it doesn't, it's hard. Like the technology's not there. So yeah, it's not there yet. It's going to get there. Yeah, because theoretically we can, with your especially text to video, you could type out, literally type a movie into existence. Yes, you, you can. And the thing is, like, we, we work a lot with BFX agencies and production companies and post-production teams. We actually hosted, a, like a month ago, a film festival in New York and in San Francisco that celebrates AI films, right? Mm. And so these are professional filmmakers who have embraced and used AI techniques in their filmmaking process. We had Darna Rafanovsky come in at the first New York screening to talk about some of the stuff he's been working on. So this is already in the film industry is already happening and people are really like excited and eager to like start incorporating it in a similar way that BFX perhaps was like a couple of years ago. Have you encountered any uh, resistance yet from the industry in one form or another who kind of, you know, because obviously, you know, especially anything you say AI and every, and people are getting very nervous about jobs. And of course the comeback is, well, you know, people said, for example, the ATM was going to destroy all bank jobs. And now there's, <laughs> I think in America since 1970, I think it was the first ATM. There's like 400,000 more tellers than there were then. So it's just changed the job. How do you think about it? I think in the same way that you're thinking about it, which is, is just different. It's just going to change the nature of what it means to work in filmmaking. And in the same way that audio changed silent movies. And of course, there's a version to change that some people might have. And I mean, look at 
like one of the greatest filmmakers ever, like Chaplin. Chaplin was against music in movies because like movies were supposed to be silent. That was the essence of filmmaking, right? And also, by the way, who's going to pay for the orchestra that sits in the theater, right? Right. And the thing is like, sure, I mean, that's a good argument, but also like you're going to open like hundreds, thousands, millions of new jobs by having a piece of technology that allows you to do it in a slightly different way. And that that was the case. And so it's always good to go back in the past and understand like similar revolutions in technology and how they played out. I think this is no difference. Do you think we'll see this year the first like feature length AI film, either like made with something like your technology or just something that is self-generated? Yes, for sure. I mean, we already saw in our film festival uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago, short films that were entirely generated. Generated themselves, like the AI generates the film or like from a prompt or? From a prompt. It was a short film that was like three minutes long called I Want a Thousand Rabbits. Beautiful. We have all these films in our film festival website if you want to check them out. And the film was just generated with text prompts. And the story around it is so good. It's just, you need to watch it. And there, there's like three other films that are entirely generated. And so you have the ability for it to use it as a tool that can allow you to tell like short films to the point where you're going to win something like an award at a film festival. And it's just a matter of time until we get to like longer sequences. We're already working on that. Were those films made using your technology? No, we were celebrating any type of uh, oh, wow. AI system that you wanted to use. Yeah. And so... Stepping back, where do you think we are in, you know, I don't know, next year or three years from now in terms of the capabilities? Because obviously there's this kind of Cambrian explosion of all these tools, whether it's chatbots or what you guys are working on, but specifically in your universe, how do you think this kind of starts to show up? I mean, we've talked about films, but are there other areas and kind of how good can this stuff get and how quickly? I think it's going to get good very quickly, very fast. Remember, four years ago, if I showed you what we're able to do, you'd be like, that's just so different from where we're at right now. I think it's very hard to predict the future uh, because you need to build those mental models to understand how things are going to play out. It's going to be different, the type of content, the type of films. Think about a world where you can be the main and the lead actor in every film. Like you, you basically are the lead actor in... In every scene in the movie, you're 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 Batman, you're whatever main right. character you want to be. But also you could technically generate infinite amount of films because you can just generate them. And so the nature of storytelling changes, mm-hmm. right? And so it's it's good to compare them to what we have, but I'm also more interested in like thinking about what else can you do that it's different that we haven't been able to do before. And I think we're still early on trying to figure out what that means. And have you talked to the marketing world about this, you know, commercial makers, things like that? Yeah, of course. Chatting with everyone in the industry, I think I've, I was, I'm, I'm pretty much trying to get as many people involved as early as possible. And we're already working with advertising companies and post-production film studios and visual effects folks. So yeah, it's it's trying to trying to get more folks into, they're all getting to a taxi and we're just chatting about it. <laughs> we need to. Do you think at all about the, what you can call the, like the zero cost bullshit problem? Like there's just, um, whether it's these chat bots or what you're doing where it's like it becomes very easy to just generate really believable stuff that can be used for any number of spammy or propagandistic or any number of, of reasons. Yeah, Chris Anderson has this beautiful quote, um, every abundance creates a new scarcity. I think the, the abundance of content that we'll see will create a scarcity, which is, which is taste. 
and like curation, right? <laughs> and so, which is which is fine. Like yeah. you're, you're going to be able to create a lot of things. It doesn't mean that you're like suddenly going to see all those things. You're going to be much more selective and there's going to be a role within a creative department that's a curator. You're basically working with machines that can create infinite amount of stuff. Just pick the ones that are relevant, that are interesting, that are different, that's craft, that's taste. And also anyone can have taste. I'm eager to see the taste of folks who hadn't had the chance of expressing themselves or selecting or visualizing a view of the world because they haven't had the tools to do it. And so that in itself is very empowering. So what's coming next for you guys in terms of like your roadmap over the next, I don't know, say 12 months? Yeah, we've been we've been busy. I, I always say that uh, we've been we've been training for four years, right? To like finally start running, <laughs> and so we have a full pipeline of multi-model research on the works that we're going to be releasing very soon, and also a few new updates on product to make all of our product research and kind of like efforts much more easy, convenient, and most importantly, controllable and expressive. Like a lot of the the work that still needs to be done in in the field in general, I would say, is this idea of having some sort of like human loop in the creation process where you Mm. can further go into the specifics and redefine and control in more granular ways what you want to make out of the systems. And that is a lot of like UX sometimes and UIs, and it's not just pure research. Right. And do you anticipate, and I I don't know how how you've trained this stuff, but we spoke with Imad Mustak recently of uh, Stability AI, um, and obviously they're being sued for using a bunch of images that um, Getty Images has said, well, you use that without our permission and it's going to be, you know, adjudicated. Do you anticipate a similar issue or how do you train your models? So every model is different. We have like 35 or so different Mm. AI tools in our stack. I come from an artistic background and I work really closely with the creative community. And so our goal really is to make sure that we can incorporate more people into this conversation, into technology and work with them. I think that that's always been our kind of like case of like, in order to like build this type of technology, you need to be able to like make it a positive argument to incorporate the current incumbents and have them the, the chance and the ability to like adapt to what's happening. And so we, we work closely with the folks, with industry experts, with media companies and with different types of organizations to help build the systems in a safe, reliable, reliable manner. Uh, but every model is is different, so we train on on different stuff depending on what we're trying to do. But you don't anticipate a copyright issue, because I imagine you must be pulling content from the open web. I'm guessing. I mean, again, every model is different. Sometimes we we build models. We have a rotoscoping tool that allows you to remove the backgrounds of, of videos in a real time manner, which for filmmakers is like revolutionary. You've been doing that in in a frame by frame basis for the last thirty years, and now mm. here's a tool that allows you to do it in like a second. We had to create a data set. The data set didn't exist. And so we actually wrote a blog post around how to synthetically create a data set to do that. Mm. And so every every model is different. And so we tried to really be more nuanced around like how the systems are being trained and used. And that started by just being more exposed to it. And what's the business model? It's a very simple business model. I've always, there's a license you can get to use Runway in its full capacity. There's also credits to like render videos on our cloud system. It's everything's kind of cloud-based, so it's very convenient. Um, as you sure you know, like most VFX workflows are like local or like computing intense. So you need to have these machines and like, I don't think that makes sense anymore. <laughs> like you can just make a movie, you should be able to make a movie with like any computer. 
And I think we're building towards that future. And so it's a very simple subscription-based and credit-based system to, to get full access to the platform. Right. Where in Chile are you from? Santiago. Santiago. How did you end up here? I mean, do you have an entrepreneurial background or family or kind of what did you grow up doing in Chile and how did you end up leaving? No, I don't. So I study econ, business, design, and art. And then I was like freelancing, making websites on, on my spare mm. time. So I guess I was just very curious. I went to business school and like it's a, it's a weird combination of like business and engineering school in Chile. I think I did pretty well. It was like first of my class of like a 400 like class year on a very competitive school. And everyone was going to taking jobs in like this very like high pay well jobs in like finance and like working with the ministry of like economy. And my first internship was at like a film production company in Chile and paid. So you were kind of like top of your class, but also a little bit of a weirdo in that you're like, I'm sure you could have gone to any number of very well-paid jobs right out of school. I think so. Uh, I mean, I could have tried to do that, but I don't, I just, I wasn't interested. I don't know. I was like, Chile doesn't have a lot of like, I guess the diversity culturally that you might have in New York. And so it's right. really hard to get exposed to like things that are not like four things. <laughs> and so <laughs> when you grow up, you're always like, there's four things you can do in life. Right. And I'm like, okay, but like, I mean, I want to study film. I always wanted to study film, but mm. there are not a lot of like film schools in Chile. And it's really hard to like get in because they're just like, they're like, there's not, there's not a development of like an industry in itself. And so I've, I remember like when I was young, I was like, great, I'll, I'll just figure it out. I want to work in films. I'm obsessed with filmmaking. I want to make films. And so I guess I'll just have to like work and understand and learn from people who are making films. So we just, we'll have to intern in like this company and right. like have no pay, but just how learn as much as I can. And I think it's taken me like 15 years to go like circle, like entire circle to be like, great, I can make films now. <laughs> I just have to like invent a new camera to be able to do it. Yeah, you just have to invent an entirely new thing to be able to do that. Yes. And and to be honest, I, I think I don't have any, like my family doesn't come from an entrepreneurial like background. I was like raised by my mom where like four kids. It was very hard. I wasn't like that easy. And, but, but I think like my mom always gave me like enough of her freedom to just explore what I wanted to mm. explore. And I think entrepreneurship and runway kind of like found me. Like this is just the most effective way of like learning more and creating more and starting a company is a great way of actually doing that because that's the ultimate goal but i've i never thought of myself like oh i'm gonna be an entrepreneur i want to be a ceo of a company i still find it hard to think about myself like that is it hard being a ceo it's very hard sometimes like very lowly because you're doing stuff you're running on the side there's a lot of decisions you need to make i've never been a ceo of a company so you're just always learning which i like i like learning as much as i can one of the most rewarding things is that you get to work with very smart people. Yeah. And that just like, it's just, it's always amazing. Personally, I like doing that a lot. Isn't, isn't that the goal to kind of uh, lure people who are way more accomplished and smart, uh, smarter than you to kind of help you get there? I love coming into a room and feeling like I'm the dumbest. Yeah. <laughs> that for me is like just learning from people who are like so good or so eager to like do more. I think that's more than like a product and like a roadmap. Like if you have those kind of people around the table, amazing things will happen. How do you get them to join you though? Especially when, again, going back to that 2018 idea of like, yeah, yeah, this is what we're going to do. It's 
kind of seems like impossible, maybe a pipe dream. And there's a bunch of breakthroughs that are going to have to happen. And I've never run a company before. And, you know, I'm coming from artistic background, but don't worry. Come with me. <laughs> Wait, there are like five more things. I've, uh, <laughs> I don't speak English that well. So I don't like it. It's hard to me, first of all, to communicate in like a language. Secondly, I know no one. In New York, I, when I first came to New York, I knew the only thing I personally know was like my landlord, right. like literally, because I, I had no connections here. And I have no connections in like I, two years in art school, you build some like networks with friends and artists. But then I went to start a company, raise money. I've like, I've never been to San Francisco. Like I've, I haven't spoken with ABC ever. But I think like, again, there's this mentality that the three of us have always kind of like had, which is like, just figure it out. Like mm. it can be that hard. Sure, you're gonna do it. The first time I had met a VC, it was like it was a disaster because I've I've never met one. So like that's <laughs> how does this work? Like, but eventually I've done it like a thousand times now. So you get you start to learn, right? And yeah. you start to get exposed to it. From there, to be able to convince people to join you in this journey, there's a long way, and you have to learn a lot. But I think just being authentic and being like really transparent on that, hey, you're learning. You're this is the first time you do it, but come and join me in this journey because we're both going to be learning together. I think that's how we've always operated. We're 45 people in the company. And I think we've done pretty groundbreaking stuff and are very, very yeah. proud of the team because it's a bunch of people who have shared those same values. Of like, it doesn't, those kind of things don't matter. It doesn't matter if you work in tech for the last 20 years. The only thing that matters is you can build amazing stuff. So let's build it together. Right. So that first meeting with a VC, what, why was it so bad? It was bad, but actually they've uh, they became one of our lead investors, so it wasn't that bad, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I was I, it was bad because I remember um, I sent them like an NDA, like, "Hey, I'm working on this thing," and it, it, they were like, "Yeah, I mean, you know, just no, <laughs> it's not needed. You're like, a, you, this is an idea, right? It doesn't matter if you send me." A, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because I've never done it before, and, and, and I don't have a problem like saying basically that, and like I've, I've learned over time that um, how things work and. I think one of the most important things I've learned in school is like, you can, if you learn how to learn, you can figure out anything, right? So just learn how to learn stuff and then you'll right. figure out everything else. Right. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Chris for taking the time. I want to thank you all for listening, for the ratings, for the reviews, for telling your friends and neighbors about the pod. You know what it is. Anyhow, that is it. I will be around next week, back writing, etc. And yeah, in the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at Danny Fortson, not in the paper this week, because as I mentioned, I am not writing, thankfully, a little bit of a break. So that's it. So I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Thank you, as always, as always, for listening, and we'll talk to you very soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.